Hi, everyone. Steve Adubato. More importantly, this is the MAG Mutual Podcast, and we are honored today to be joined by Dr. Lauren Hamilton, an obstetrician gynecologist at Charleston OBGYN in South Carolina and a member of the medical faculty at MAG Mutual. Dr. Hamilton, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for letting me join. Well, one of the really fascinating things about this uh, MAG Mutual Podcast is we're going to lay out a case study. You're going to lay it out. And I was looking over the facts as a non- clinician saying, wow, I'm trying to understand where the issues are, what the problems are, what could have been handled differently. So to our audience um, of uh, physicians and others connected to physicians who want to understand and care about what went wrong here and what could have been done differently, lay out the basic facts, if you could, Dr. Hamilton. Sure. So this um, clinical scenario is a 28-year-old female. She's a G5P4, meaning she's had four um, previous deliveries. This is her fifth baby. She had an induction, and it was a failed induction, and so she underwent a cesarean section. Um, I don't have the chart, but apparently it was uncomplicated. But about an hour and a half after the C-section, she started having um, passing liver-sized clots and golf ball-sized clots, and um, the fundus was described as boggy, which means the top of the uterus was was um, not as tight as you want it to be because your uterus is a muscle. So the, about two hours after delivery, the physician came down to evaluate the patient and performed a fundal massage, so, so trying to make the uterine tone better, and the vaginal bleeding continued. About five hours after delivery, they transfused one unit of platelets. Five and a half hours, they asked for the massive transfusion protocol, which is a protocol that we use when we need a lot of blood products, and that didn't, um, apparently it wasn't performed. Uh, so six hours after delivery, they um, asked the patient to go back to the operating room for a hysterectomy. Six and a half hours after delivery, they brought the patient to the operating room. And in seven hours after delivery, they did what's called a B. Lynch suture, which means they opened the abdomen, they reopened the abdomen, and they put this suture around the uterus, hoping that would stop the bleeding. I guess it did not stop the bleeding because eight hours after delivery, the um, second transfusion of blood products was um, performed. And then the patient was transferred to a higher level of care, but then ended up dying um, when got to when she got to the sec the second hospital. So um, the allegations for the case is failure to bring back uh, to the OR in a timely fashion, despite continuous bleeding, uh, low blood pressure, anemia, and labs that were consistent with DIC. Failure to perform a um, hysterectomy. Wow. Um, there are so many pieces to this, but Dr. I want to focus in on the timely response issue by the physician and other providers in this case. It, it, from your perspective, how important is the timely response issue A and B, what could have or should have been done differently? So timely response is so important when you are, um, you know, when you are facing a postpartum hemorrhage. There's never a time as an obstetrician or as a nurse on labor and delivery that you're not going to face this scenario. It may not go down the road that it went down, but you're always going to face some type of hemorrhage. So there are things that we can do to kind of predict what patients are at risk, and then we can you know, be ready to perform things when a patient is at risk. So in other words, readiness means you look at a patient and you say, what are your risk factors? So um, low risk factors are patients who have never had a C-section. They have one baby, not twins or triplets. Right. They um, have had less than or equal to four vaginal births. They don't have a bleeding disorder and they have no history of postpartum hemorrhage. 
So when you look at other patients, you, there, there are just kind of stages of what's called readiness. And when you look at a patient, you know, have they had a C-section? Do they have more than one uh, baby inside of them? Do they have a fever? Do they have an infection? Because that increases your risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Have they had a history of a postpartum hemorrhage? You know, do they have any kind of um, disorder that makes them bleed more? Do they have fibroids? Because um, that allow doesn't allow the uterus to contract as it should. Do they have a condition that they have maybe platelets that are less than a thousand? So I mean a hundred thousand. So what you do basically is you kind of stratify patients when they walk in the door. So every patient that walks in the door on labor and delivery should be stratified into low, medium, high. Wow. You know, again, as a layperson, I'm listening to all the 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 factors to consider all the checkpoints, if you will. Um, tough question. Could this have been avoided? I think that um, probably, I think probably things can be avoided. Yes. I think that there are scenarios where um, it's just a catastrophe and things can't be avoided, but it, you know, the most important thing is timely response to the patient and what people don't realize is the massive amount of blood loss that occurs during um, delivery and how it's so hard to get ahead of it. So you just really can't get behind. So in a case like this, and I looked at the allegations, as you said before, and they're very uh, detailed and, and helpful setup for this, the, the allegations are failure to bring patients back into the OR in a timely fashion, despite continuous bleeding. Um, and then there's a concern about the nursing, the nurses not recognizing significant bleeding sooner. Could you talk about the, to your colleagues, your physician colleagues, their interaction and communication and dealing with nurses in this equation? Because it's not either or, is it? No, we are so dependent on our nursing um, and we are so dependent on their opinions. And, you know, we are a team. So we are dependent on anesthesia, we're dependent on our nurses, we're dependent on our own knowledge, on other physicians coming in and helping us. But, you know, at our hospital, we have a program called called quantitative blood loss. And a lot of times in hospitals, they have estimated blood loss and studies have shown that we underestimate blood loss tremendously. So we have a system where we quantify blood loss. So when a patient delivers, we look at the fluid and then we start at zero, and then you take the um, then you take the um, amount of flu amount of blood that's lost, and you actually weigh it and measure it, and so you know how much blood the patient is losing in real time. And so that's you're not, sorry for interrupting. You're not estimating. You're not guesstimating. Right. It's right. You actually weigh it. Yes, you actually weigh it, and that takes a team to do that. So let's say the patient is delivering. She delivers, you look at all the all the fluid right after delivery because that's prior to delivery, and then you start adding. So if a patient is sitting there and she's bleeding, she's hemorrhaging, you're looking in that, um, you have a bag, and you're looking in that bag to see how much additional blood is there. In addition, we have lap sponges and things like that. So as they're getting soaked, there's another team that goes over and weighs them on a um, scale. And so they can kind of in real time tell us, the patient's lost 500 cc's, the patient's lost 700 cc's, the patient's lost 1,000 cc's. In addition to that, um, what's also most important is 
we used to, um, you know, we have different kinds of medication we can give to stop a patient from bleeding. And we used to call out for those medications. And the nurse, of course, has to run to the the Pixis, which is the um, the thing that beats the medication. Right. And now all units should have what's called a postpartum hemorrhage cart. And in that postpartum hemorrhage cart. Yes. Does that mean yes. it's accessible right there? Yes. And so if you have a patient who is medium to high risk for a hemorrhage, it should be outside the room or in the room, you know, whatever you prefer. And in that cart, you have all the instruments that you need in order to determine what's causing the postpartum hemorrhage. Because postpartum hemorrhage can be caused by a variety of things. It's not just the patient bleeding. It can be that you have a vaginal laceration. It can be that you have a uterine laceration. It can be, you know, there's different things that you have to assess for. And so you have to, in real time, as a physician, think to yourself, okay, you know, what is happening? Is it is it that there's a piece of placenta that's left inside the uterus and the uterus is trying to expel it? You know, there's just so many things that can cause postpartum hemorrhage. You have to have kind of a differential in your head. So when a nurse comes in and says, hey, this patient's bleeding a lot, you know, you walk in, you examine them, you you look, you don't just say, okay, this is probably the uterus isn't isn't contracting the way it should. You have to think to yourself, you know, is there a laceration that I didn't see when the patient delivered? Is there, you know, a um, retained placental product that I didn't um, notice? And so you have to continuously ask yourself these questions so you know you actually kind of rule out one by one and then you get to the meat of the problem. But as you're doing that, you also have to quantify blood loss because you have to know, should I be transfusing this patient? What are her vital signs? You know, and you ha- you really can't wait for labs in a postpartum hemorrhage. You need to be on top of vital signs. So if your patient had a, a pulse in the 90s and all of a sudden she's in the 130s, you know, even if you get a CBC at that moment, it's not really going to quantify the amount of blood that she has lost because it's so instantaneous. So you really have to treat vital signs. You don't treat um, labs and you don't wait for labs. Dr. Hamilton, uh, I'm, I'm very confident that not only your description of the case, but your advice, your um, being very specific and clear on all the things that should be checked and the changes that should be made, the innovations that, that are out there and accessible to, to, to our physician leaders uh, listening right now. Extremely helpful. Thank you, Dr. Hamilton. Thank you. So this has been another um, very important edition of the Mag Mutual podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. For everyone at the Mag Mutual team, we thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Dr. Hamilton. Thanks for having me. Catch you next time.